0: to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today we are talking about Mystic Pizza with our wonderful friend Candace Opper. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed will soon be joined by my wonderful co-host, Sarah Marshall. But first, I just want to let you know that You Are Good, a Feelings podcast about movies, is made possible with your support. Thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon or using Apple podcast subscriptions. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. You are what makes this show possible. You are where the vast majority of our funding comes from. And when you support the show in these ways, you get bonus episodes. Not long ago, we released an episode about grief. We'll soon have a new bonus coming out. Uh, They're a lot of fun. If you like the show, you'll like the bonuses. And by supporting us on Patreon or Apple Plus podcast subscriptions, you'll get those and you'll help make this show happen. So thank you everyone who supports us there. Typically, we put out a playlist of songs inspired by the conversation about the movie, uh, inspired by the movie itself. But this week, we're gonna take the week off from doing that. We're on the road with the You're Wrong About Tour right now, and uh, you know we're kind of we're <laughs> flying by the seat of our pants, so no playlist. But typically, we have playlists that accompany each of our episodes. Look for one next week when we talk about Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. Speaking of the You're Wrong About Tour, uh, we've had such a tremendous time getting to meet a lot of you a lot of folks who listen to you are good turns out uh listen to you're wrong about so we've gotten an opportunity to meet many of you i've got an opportunity to meet many of you because i've been running the merch table in addition to managing the store uh uh, i've joked that this is a young person's game and i'm not so young and uh but i'm enjoying it nonetheless even though my feet and my back hurt (laughs) so thank you so much everyone who's come out it's been really nice to put faces with names it's been really nice to see you it's been really nice to uh see people we know love and admire we've been out on the road with chelsea weber smith of course of american hysteria who's been on the show here and with jamie loftus who has been on the show here we're having the most fun i love being able to do this with you thanks for hanging with us i'm glad we have this together and of course, even if uh, you're not seeing us out in tour, you can find us on social media on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter at You Are Good Pod. Please uh, reach out, say hello, let us know how you're doing. You, my friends, are good. You Are Good is also made possible with support by and from knack factory knack factory k-n-a-c-k factory a commercial video content production company with offices in portland maine though they do work throughout these here united states if you need that sort of work done get in touch with the fine folks at knack factory Before we start, I just want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A. You feeling a little anxious? You feeling a little overwhelmed? These feelings can make it hard to shift gears and get in the mood with Dipsy. You can focus on just what makes you feel good. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters. No matter who you're into or what turns you on, you can find stories about that intriguing coworker with a British accent or hooking up with your hot yoga instructor. You can hear the sexy voices of ER fight master Luke Cook and many others in stories like you've never heard before and there's new content that's released every week so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again you can always find something new to explore dipsy also has sleep stories it's your go-to place to spice up your me time explore your fantasies or heat things up with a partner So for listeners of You Are Good, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash YAG, YAG for You Are Good, of course. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash YAG, dipsystories.com slash YAG. All right, we're talking about Mystic Pizza. Love, love, love Mystic Pizza. This is a fantastic conversation with our friend Candace Opper, who we've had on the show before. Candace was with us last, I think, for a conversation about Jurassic Park. We had the best time with her. We always have the best time with Candace. She's the best. Mystic Pizza was directed by Donald Petrie. The screenplay was by the tremendous Amy Holden Jones. We talk about that in this episode. Uh, also by Perry Howes, by Randy Howes, and by Alfred Urie. The story by Amy Holden-Jones. The movie stars Annabeth Gish, Julie Roberts, and Lily Taylor. It follows a coming of age of three young Portuguese-American friends who work at a pizza parlor in a seaside Connecticut town. That's all you need to know from me before we dive into this episode. This is a, a lovely conversation again with our lovely friend Candace Hopper. All right. Let's go to Connecticut. Let's eat some pizza in Connecticut. Let's talk about sexy Vincent D'Onofrio's sexy Connecticut wrists. I love this movie. All right. Time for Mystic Pizza. Hello, Sarah Moe. You're eating. Sorry, hold, please. You have a mouthful of Mystic Pizza. We should go with this. Yeah. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello. Hello,
1: Alex Steen. <laughs> I'm eating a hot dog. Are you and sure? And it's also 1017 a.m.
0: Oh, uh, you're. <laughs> this is what we do. I'm so excited to talk about Towny Moonstruck.
1: Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: I never picked up about how much of a cousin movie this is. I don't know if there's like a reason for that. Was this just in the air? This is what independence, not that Moonstruck was necessarily an independent movie, but it has that like vibe. Like what was going on at this time?
1: It's because in the late eighties, Hollywood was like, we should make movies about people of color, like Italians.
0: (laughs) And the Portuguese. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Oh, guys, I just arrived to the West Coast because Carolyn and I have changed where we're living and it's in California now. You've changed coasts. We've changed coasts. It's in California. And there is a chain here that I'm sure is everywhere else. It's just I've never saw it in New England or maybe Nashville called Papa Murphy's. Oh, yeah. Alex, you were in Portland. There's a Papa Murphy's every
1: quarter mile here.
0: I think it's a West Coast thing. It feels like an anti-Italian hate crime.
1: It is. It is. Well, and the whole deal with Papa Murphy's, <laughs> there's tons of Papa Murphy's in Oregon. It's take and bake. You take and you bake.
0: (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. It's like a frozen, unfrozen, frozen pizza Exactly. (laughs) It's like you take. It's exactly
1: what happens in Mystic Pizza when Annabeth Gish is distracted and she brings an uncooked pizza. They, They just sell you a raw pizza.
0: Oh, I love it. Okay. Well, all right. Then I will at some point get into the fusion restaurant, which must be Papa Murphy's based on its name. Sarah. Yes. Who is here, Sarah?
1: It's Candace Hopper, our Alec Baldwin, which used to
0: mean something else from what it means
2: now. (laughs) Which kind of Alec Baldwin am I? You're the kind who comes
1: on Saturday Night Live all the time. And it's like you're a cast member, but you don't have to have the terrible work schedule and contract.
2: Okay, I'm okay with that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> What's going on, Candace?
2: Hi. Nelson, I'm psyched to be here. Is this number five for me? I think. Yeah. I was trying to remember. I think it is. I'm pretty sure it's five. Wow. You're
0: our most prolific guest. Mm,
2: I feel like I need like an anniversary present or something.
0: We'll get a shirt done or something.
1: <laughs> if movies were victims, you would be Jack the Ripper. <laughs>
0: Candace, what before Sarah walks us through what Mystic Pizza is about, and I can't wait for this description. What makes you best poised to comment upon Mystic Pizza?
2: Oh, I have quite a relationship with this movie, and the main tenet of that relationship is that I grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, which is not far from Mystic, and I have very complicated feelings about Connecticut (laughs) that I'm still reckoning with after having Mm -hmm. lived there for the first 20 years of my life. But this movie came out when I was eight years old and I'm pretty sure I saw it Right away. And it also came out of note the same year as Beetlejuice, which is another movie that takes place in Connecticut, although I don't think it was filmed there. And both these movies coming out at the same time really deepened my relationship with Connecticut because I Mm. thought that they were more interesting and sort of nuanced portrayals of what life is like or can be like in Connecticut versus the sort of general stereotype of what Connecticut is.
0: Yeah, I was texting Sarah while we were both watching this, uh, seemingly uh, within five to 10 minutes of each other.
2: Yeah,
1: I was like eight minutes ahead of her. Yeah, it, we, were right <laughs> along,
0: we were right <laughs> along the same pace. And um, I was saying that the thing that feels realist to me, and I hadn't even considered it, and I've watched this movie relatively recently, but when I'm watching it for the show, I get a little more, I feel like, discerning in my view, and just how real- the like class tensions are yes. in parts of new, at least this is just from my experience of being in in New England northern New England about you know who lives there and who's working and then who's either like a visitor or like has a second house <laughs> there yeah. <laughs> and, yeah and how much that is a part of what's going on here a
1: summer person a yes. person made of pure summer precisely precisely <laughs> so i'm
0: uh, i'm really i'm really excited to talk about all this with with you both sarah before we do that though so can yes. you please uh, be our tour guide and take us through Mystic Pizza?
1: Yes. Okay. Mystic Pizza is the story of three young women coming of age, one beautiful autumn. It's an autumnal movie, <laughs> bitches. We always talk about how these are so hard to find. Their names are Daisy Arujo, played by Julia Roberts, Kat, her sister, played by Annabeth Gish, and their mother is played by living legend Joanna Merlin, mm. who I know is Miss Berg from Fame.
0: This is the pizza shop owner, the woman from Two and a Half Men? No, this
1: is the mom. Oh, okay, got it. Got of Cat and Daisy. And the got pizza it. shop owner is played by Conchata Farrell, mm. who is the best part in everything she's in. Yeah, true. And also was with Julia Roberts and Aaron Brockovich 12 years later, where Julia's character called her bubble butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The utter disrespect. (laughs) Yes, and Kinshata Farrell was on Two and a Half Men for its entire run. And in my opinion, it should have been called Two and a Half Men and Kinshata Farrell, the best part. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, we love her. And she runs Mystic Pizza, which employs Kat and Daisy and also their friend Joe, played by Lily Taylor, the the most beautiful (laughs) woman of the 80s. (laughs) So good. We open the movie with her passing out at her wedding to... It's Bill, right? I finished watching this movie 10 minutes ago, you guys. Bill. yeah,
0: Yes, it's Bill. To
1: Bill, played by Vincent Philip D'Onofrio.
0: <laughs> he wanted to make sure, he wanted to differentiate himself from the other Vincent D'Onofrio actors. Right. Yes.
1: Joe passes out at the wedding and... It's like, I'm not ready to get married. It's like a slice of their time as young women growing up. And the little journeys that they all go on are that Kat gets her fourth job in addition to the pizza place, the planetarium. And what is the fourth job?
2: Do we know? I'm not sure they say what the other job is, but she does make clear that she's been hmm. babysitting for some family since she was nine, which is yes. very young to start as a babysitter. But she's totally. so responsible. I, I believe it. Yeah.
1: Well, that baby was a preemie that she was sitting. That yeah.
0: explains. Yeah. And you guys remember the <laughs> 1980s, like in 1980s nine was like a 2022 15 with regard to responsibilities specifically.
1: <laughs> yeah. You had nine year olds like writing checks and yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> repairing uh, jalapenos, you know doing all this stuff
1: <laughs> also she would have been nine in the 70s yeah. and the 70s oh, yeah. nine was like 35 yeah. today <laughs> you had like a job and a mortgage
2: <laughs> you're the ceo of an insurance company That's <laughs> Really, what it is. okay so
1: mystic pizza it's three friends and they have to me like a very rich and authentic like young woman friend life which i'm excited to talk about with you both And it's a season in their lives. And so we have Daisy having a romance with Charlie the Preppy, who's a summer person who stayed, I don't know what accent that was, who (laughs) stayed too long into the fall like Timothy Treadwell. And he believes he's befriended the locals. And so he and Daisy start this romance. And then she starts to feel like he's using her to get back at his rich family who he hates and is trying to anger. And he's played by Adam Stork, who played Larry Underwood in the nineteen nineties miniseries of Stephen King's The Stand, and also oh, yeah. the John Wayne Bobbitt character in Showtime's Attack of the Five Foot Two Woman, starring Julie Brown of the same oh, era. My God.
0: No So way. he just wow. has, like,
1: deserves to get murdered
2: face, I guess.
0: It's perfect. He's such a, like, smarm boat. That's the yeah. Larry Underwood story. <laughs> totally.
1: <laughs> and as
2: I, I was rewatching this yesterday and, and Patrick came in the room and he was like, God, that guy is just, like not good enough for Julia Roberts. And I'm like, no, but he's just so perfectly cast for this role. Totally. and it's, Yeah, it's he really queer. is.
0: So that's that guy.
2: So that's that guy. And then <laughs> Kat is babysitting. She
1: has gotten into Yale and she's starting in February. And in the meantime, she's like taking a bunch of jobs because at the time it was at least kind of plausible to think that somebody could pay for tuition after a partial scholarship to Yale with a lot of babysitting. And so, she gets a job working for an architect who also went to Yale, who's also like a sort of bland, hot, preppy guy who looks like he's in an L.L. Bean catalog. (laughs) And his wife is in England on business, or is she? No. Maybe they're like on the verge of divorce. And so, Kat... And the guy have a romance, which Daisy increasingly gives her a hard time about. And then when his wife comes home, he's like, I don't know her. And it's devastating. Joe or JoJo has a lot of ongoing tension with Bill about whether they should get married at all and what it means to get married. And whether she loves him or just his beautiful, sexy Vincent D'Onofrio body. Yeah. Which I love that in this movie, it's canon that Vincent D'Onofrio is sexy. Because like, yes, he is. But most of the movies he's in don't say he's sexy. And it's confusing.
0: Does he say, and I don't know how verbatim this is, because we know how my memory works, but does he say, you don't love me, you just love my dick? Yes. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> get him, Vincent. That's why
1: it's Vincent D' <laughs> that's, that's the
0: sec- second week of great dick jokes, and I am here for it. Thank yes, you. That's true. Yeah, thank, thank you, sir. You're welcome.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And so it's just sort of each of those stories unfolding through a lot of, as Alex was saying, townie versus everybody else class consciousness. And the arc of the pizzeria itself also involves this because this is a universe where Daisy and Cat's mom falls asleep watching *The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous*.
2: Note: Did you listen? To, they were talking about Maralaga. Yeah, Maralaga. <laughs> that did happen. Yeah, don't know. That really happened. That was the first. I've seen this movie probably like fifteen times in my life, it's so and that good. was the first time I noticed that. I was like, "Oh my god!"
0: Isn't it crazy that a throwaway line from Mystic Pizza quoting *Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous* became Our White House? Bonkers.
1: Julia Roberts was right. We should dump fish into
2: the cars of the rich. (laughs) That is one of my favorite moments.
1: (laughs) And then there's this other character who's kind of like a cross between Julia Child and Robin Leach, I would say, or Paul Prudhomme or something. (laughs) No, not him. James Beard, who is the everyday gourmet. And he goes around giving scary reviews to New England restaurants, I guess. I assume he's on like
0: WGBH. Was Phantom Gourmet <laughs> national or was that just New England? No, what's that? It was like, it was like exactly this. It was like, although he, the Phantom Gourmet was anonymous, or he would be on TV like masked.
1: Like with a bag over his head or, or like what?
0: A, like a maybe a fandom of the author. I don't know. I
1: can't remember. He's
0: like, Christine,
1: come to Gino's Grinders in
0: Hartford. Who is your local travel celebrity that like more people know than not Rick Steves? Rick Steves. Yeah, he was like yeah. the Rick Steves of like Northern New England eating. Right.
1: Oh, and then the final beat is that uh, Everyday Gourmet comes to Mystic Pizza and eats the pizza and takes like one bite. And then another bite. And then he's like, okay, bye. I'm leaving. Give me my check. I don't want to take home my leftovers. Goodbye. And then he gets on TV and gives it a wonderful review. And then Joe does get married to Bill. And then Charlie shows up to apologize. And Daisy asks him to scoop ice cream and gives him a job and leaves, which, Alex, I thought you would appreciate. Yes. And <laughs> Kat's horrible adult boyfriend shows up and gives her a check for Yale. And then she rips it up. And then they all the girls drink champagne. The end. And then we have a song,
0: an adult contemporary ballad.
2: How much do you think that check was for? $1,000. Yeah. yeah, that sounds about right. For 1988.
0: What's important that we have not mentioned is that she rips up the check because she's liberated and Leona gives a check to her because they don't have kids. The girls are their children and I fucking bald i Aww. bald when that ha- I'm, yeah. I'm welling up now but it was a, it's so special
1: i didn't cry at the end but i was in a state of welled up for like about 10 yeah. minutes oh,
0: so nice yeah. the end of this movie is so it's again it's like it's as satisfying and bonkers as the end of no not quite as bonkers but the end of of uh, moonstruck
1: everybody has a toast at the end it is it like, is moonstruck.
0: like- <laughs> a la familia da-da It was just missing Danny Aiello. (laughs) 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 All right. Where do we
2: start? (laughs) Candace, take it away. Oh, oh, my. Where should we start? I I had I mean, every time I watch this, it's richer and richer. And of course, watching it to talk about it with you two, I was paying like a lot more attention to, to little details and little things. I mean, I think when I watched this as a kid, what resonated the most was was that sort of clash of classes and how that was very evocative of of where I grew up. I grew up in a little town right outside New Haven, and it was very much like like I had the poor family. I don't think I really knew that at the time, but I mostly knew it in contrast to what was around us. Sure. And there were other poor families or more working class families in my town. But for the most part, it was like sort of an upper middle class town. And it was like the way that working class or like blue collar people and white collar people or upper class people would just be like a street over. You're around all of that, but it's not available to you, you know? I wouldn't have been able to put it into words yet at that age, seeing this as a little kid. But I think I I related to that, like the girls who were in this movie, who I don't think I identified them as Portuguese when I was a kid. I think I just assumed they were Italian because it was about a pizza yeah. place. Yeah. But like, I'm Italian and I had a lot of friends who were Italian and it was, but our community was very waspy. So like seeing these like dark haired girls who were like working in a pizza place, It was more of a map of like what I saw my young adulthood to be playing out as, you know, like Mm -hmm. more like, oh, this is probably what things are going to be like for me. But like it looked fun, you know.
0: (laughs) Right. And it's like and like the options that are presented that they present on their own behalf is like you get out of town to go to college, you marry out of the town or you become a drunk slut. Yeah. They're like that's what we have like they're harping on like that's yeah. just what our options are. That's what our perceived options are. And then you're just stuck yeah. eating lobster forever.
2: Wait, wait, wait. Also, is that Matt Damon? Yes. Okay. We yeah. didn't even mention
1: that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know what I was going to say too? Here's my cell, okay? This movie has everything. Matt Damon, a pool scene, a guy ripping off a tablecloth, a wedding. Giving someone a job and then leaving the room. <laughs> a feral Yelling at someone while they're on a boat. Having sex in the bathroom. Uh, astronomy. I could go on. A ghost. A ghost. Oh, yeah, a ghost. a ghost. Yeah, which
2: was like, I think that's what I loved the most about that as a kid was that there was a ghost, which is also such a huge part of like Connecticut and New, New England history mm. and stories. You have
1: the highest ghost per capita of any state, I think. <laughs>
2: Perhaps. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Like a haunting. You hear a haunting in Connecticut. And you're like, oh, those ghosts aren't fucking around. Yeah, They're from they Connecticut. Are. Yeah. It's not like a haunting in Delaware. You're like. Yeah. it's okay. not,
0: not Totally. Like haunting in Idaho. And you're like, no, there's no ghosts in
1: ghost. It's just like they you get left. shot in the face by a white supremacist. That's what Idaho's yeah, about. That's exactly
0: what it's about. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Idaho. A lot of ghosts in Connecticut.
2: But yeah, no, I loved that part. What was his name? Ernest. Elias. Elias. The ghost who makes you kiss
0: your boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the, oh man, that freaking, the dynamic between those two, the like Juno dynamic, it's not great. Yeah.
2: I don't really feel like any of their storylines takes precedence over anyone else's. I'm like, who is the central character of this? And I don't, I, I mean, I guess it, it almost defaults to Julia Roberts, but I think that's just because she's the most famous. Right. Yeah.
1: And because her face is big on all the art now. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. That was one of her first movies. That was one of Lily Taylor's first movies. They were both only 20 or 21 when this was made, which is like Mm -hmm. how old they probably are, their characters are in the movie. Annabeth Gish was only 17.
0: I was thinking the same thing, Candice, about how this felt like a perfect movie to watch when you're talking about like weaving in the stories of different characters that don't take precedence in one way or another. Because like in similarly, I thought like Julia Roberts was probably the head character because it's Julia Roberts but like we see a little bit from her and then we go like right down to Kat riding her bike down to the dock it spends a pretty even amount of time with everybody and doesn't give precedence to any one of their dramas which is a Mm -hmm. fascinating decision to make
1: and their dramas get to overlap in key moments too which is great
0: yes the only other person who ends up doing that a lot later is Steven (laughs) Soderbergh Steven Soderbergh ripping off Mystic Pizza again. Yep, yeah.
1: Again. <laughs> yeah. And then you got Julia Roberts and Conchata Farrell together. He's just a Mystic Pizza stan.
0: <laughs> I bet he loves it.
1: Yeah. He lo- I, he's, he makes good movies. He probably likes good movies also. <laughs>
2: I don't know. I feel like I I really enjoy that this is sort of coded as a romantic comedy, but it's, I mean, it clearly is about these romantic relationships that each of these young women is having, but it's less about the relationships and how the relationships turn out than it is about them sort of like working through it and figuring out like how they all sort of impact them and helping each other through that, you know. Mm. And I kind of like – like I, I think probably the most prominent one that you're following is the one of Daisy and Charlie, you know. Because I think that's the one that's like developing the most. And but I kind of I'd love that in the end, it's unresolved. And you're like, maybe she just gives him the ice cream and just walks <sighs> totally. out and that's it.
0: The marriage sets up. Us seeing everyone else's dynamic together, yeah. mm-hmm. which is so yeah. interesting. Like the marriage serves to get them all out to have a toast together, not to be like, "Look, they got married. Isn't that great?" Like that's not right. at all yeah. the intention or the presumed intention of of them getting married at the end. Yeah,
1: I come to think that marriages are important to communities also because people need an excuse to have a party that isn't about death.
0: <laughs> yeah. To that point, I like the framing of this, too, is that like we start with her passing out at her wedding and we end with her getting married. And again, their union is not the most significant part of that. Like the wedding sets us up to know who everybody is. And then we see them get closer together at like the follow up wedding. But again, it's not the point, which is great.
1: You wouldn't be like, this is a story of Joe and Bill.
0: (laughs) You would not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sarah what's st- what stands out to you like what space does this movie occupy in your life and imagination
1: Well I hadn't seen this movie since I watched it on Wii TV when I was like 15. oh wow because it was played a lot there and I had very fond memories of it This is like such a great movie and it makes sense why I loved it at the time because it's like very autumnal and cozy and there's like all this like raw emotion and and it really is about kind of the things you learn while growing up and close friendship and it just feels feels very real and lived in. But I also, like, I had forgotten how rich it was. Like, it's just, like, so crammed with, like, stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I like a lot of movies that don't have a lot of substance. And this one has, this is, like, all substance, actually. Yeah. With sax.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Just jaunty sax music. We need to bring it back. You need to drive your movie with sax tones Mm
2: -hmm. i thought you said the sex at first and i was like there is a like one i I think one of my favorite tropes of like 80s if i feel like this is most present in 80s movies is like the slow strip where someone is following like the items Mm -hmm. of clothing that another person has taken
1: off right sure (laughs) well people wore so many layers in the 80s you know it took a while
2: and that house probably has no heat so the scene that we're talking about is the first time that Daisy and Charlie have sex, which is in his parents' summer house, which is currently unoccupied. And he says that his dad shuts the electricity off so he doesn't have to be reminded that Charlie has been kicked out of law school and is living in their summer home in the dark. I assume that the heat is not on either, so it's probably quite cold in yeah. late october in this house on the ocean right it does creep me out a little bit that she puts his dad's shirt on yeah. <laughs> just like that, that yeah. was a moment i was like eh, i don't know, I, don't know about that.
0: <laughs> I wonder how much the slow strip too. the slow strip it works has two functions right it's like no nudity it leads to no actual nudity but then the second is it puts it all in your imagination which is sometimes the best place for nudity to exist yeah it's true
1: I always felt that if I were a big star, I would just want my breasts to be immortalized cinematographically because it just seems like a nice way to avoid paying for expensive boudoir photography to immortalize your body. <laughs> you can just be like, well, I'm a movie star anyway. I'll just do it at work. I'll just get it. It's another errand to cross off the list.
0: Ever the utilitarian.
2: <laughs> I like how like boudoir photography is like a must- for you. It sounds like it's just like this is a thing you have to do.
1: I guess think that like when you're old you need to be able to look at what your breasts used to look like. You
2: get your license. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And you get your boudoir photography.
1: You do. Yeah, you do. And then you get your car phone, of course.
0: Right. Oh my god. So I am most excited about how this movie represents stuff that Candace has already talked about or or Mm -hmm. sort of referenced, which is just like the class related everything. Like to your point, Candace, about this being kind of sold as a romantic comedy. And then you get in and it's like a meditation on what it's like to be essentially like to be a townie and a townie family in a townie town. I love that a movie got made about that. And it was not like, this is a movie about townies figuring out their plight. It was like, Everyone is in some different phase of where they're going to land. And I feel like all of the trajectories are treated with respect, which is really nice. They're not like college is the ultimate thing to do. Like you should be like her, like because clearly she's going to choose like falling for the predator who she's working for. It's not real. Whatever. We can talk about that later. But like all of their trajectories are treated with some degree of love and respect, which I really appreciate.
2: I've grown to really like JoJo and Bill's relationship. I mean, yeah, not only because like the gender roles are flipped in the fact that like she just is very clear about how she loves his his body. She loves his dick. Yeah, she fucks. She like wants to bang. All the time, yes. (laughs) She's not sure she wants to get married, and he really wants to get married, although he does that dirtbag thing by putting a nympho on his
0: boat. Well, he wants to get married specifically because he doesn't want Jesus to watch him. while he's having sex and feel guilty yeah. about it. Just
1: turn it off. There's probably a switch. It's probably plugged in somewhere. Just
0: like move Jesus out of the room. God damn it. Yeah. I <laughs> turn it off. <laughs> Throw a blanket over it.
2: Jeez.
1: Then Jesus will think it's nighttime and go to sleep.
2: Like Wheezy.
1: <laughs> wheezy is Jesus, Alex. That's what she's been trying to tell
0: you. <laughs> Jeezy in a wheezy. Oh, poor Jeezy trapped in that broken pit bull body. <laughs> i yeah i i love their i love their relationship he does do the dirtbag info thing which is like you know he doesn't know how to talk so he lashes out yeah yeah
2: yeah. but you believe they really care for each other it doesn't seem like she's sort of getting strong armed into marrying him then she doesn't really want to do it i think she does want to do it she's just i mean these girls are like what 20 that is young to get married
0: you know i was just thinking when he comes to talk with her at the pizzeria after the wedding has not worked out and he's getting made fun of by other folks in town. And they go outside and they're talking and just the way she looks at him, I was like yeah, you could stand me up at the altar. Like if you just like the next day you're Lily Taylor and you look at me like that, it's fine. Everything's fine. I don't care.
1: She didn't even stand him up. She just fainted. She can't control fainting. You know, much more sympathetic. That's true.
0: But like I assume like how do we think that played out? Do you think when she came to they're like like, do you still want to get married? And she's like, no. Nah. Yeah, I think so. Or was she just passed out for like seven hours?
2: Yeah, and they
1: just left. I think <laughs> she was like, "Who
0: are you?" Just, like, just she'll come out of it! Don't you, don't wake her up because she might get stuck in the dream. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Lily Taylor always
1: plays characters who are kind of unlucky in love. And I this is a really nice break from that. Yes,
0: it is. Totally.
2: You know, one of my favorite, I, I think one of the most tender moments in the movie to me is is very, very subtle. And it's when Kat first goes to see her mom at, what is it called? Where you wrap... The lobster tables. The lo- lobster-y. <laughs> I do Like where you're you're wrapping uh your rubber banding lobsters. What are her- the
0: lobster tables called? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like where
2: her mom works. What is it called? Alex, this is the whole reason you work
0: here. <laughs> oh the docks.
2: The docks. Okay. The docks. Yeah. <laughs> she's, sorry, she's at sorry. The docks. I
0: thought we were talking about like what the tables were like when they were eating the lobster at the family's house. I was like, those are just tables. No, no, no.
2: <laughs> like where like where her mom works. So her mom is like working with all these other women and they're all probably moms you know working at the docks and cat mm-hmm. goes there and brings them a pizza and she's like the good daughter and her mom says cat's <laughs> going to yale in the spring you know part scholarship blah 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 and like she's just sort of saying it and as i was watching it i was like Clearly all these other moms know that already.
0: I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking thing. that too. Thinking, like yeah. that mom
2: probably says it every single day, but like I found that to be such a tender moment. Like the mom yes. feeling like she needs to say yeah. it again because she's like so proud that her daughter's going on to like advance beyond her life at the docks and whatever. And that, that moment felt very familiar to me. Like the yeah. the immigrant mom, you know, sort of announcing that news over and over and over. Yeah.
0: For any fault I, my father and I had, which were plenty enough. And he was not an immigrant himself, but his parents were immigrants. And I know that he was like that about me. He Just like even travel for fun. Like it was everything he was not able to do. And he was delighted that someone was going to have the opportunity so that was very that was extremely touching and i and it's it's like an interesting mixed bag right because like i felt the same way i was so elated like hearing her talk you know talk about her daughter with with such pride and she was so excited but like this is also at the same time the thing that like kind of like kills Daisy is that like her sister is celebrated for very particular shapes and forms of achievement. And that often like overshadows her. And it sounds like maybe that's been going on since they were born.
1: They're like Tanya and Nancy.
0: They are like Tanya and Nancy.
1: She says this thing about like, I'm bad and you're good and nothing can change that. And I feel like one of the things that can be grinding over time, specifically in relationships between women and dynamics that we create, but also that other people create for us. It's the like, I'm the this one and you're the that one, which like do boys do that?
0: I don't. Not to my knowledge. That's
1: interesting. It's like if two men are friends, are they ever like you're the slut and I'm the not the <laughs> slut.
0: Like I'm the Mary, you're the Ruta. I think that there is like some acknowledgement, but I think like part of the reason speaking of. Romy and Michelle, I'm the Mary, you're the Rhoda, Mm -hmm. is like, Mm -hmm. there are less defined archetypes in fiction for men to go like, I'm the this and Mm. you're the that.
1: Right. Yeah, there's really just George and Lenny. That's
0: exactly what I was thinking, Sarah, (laughs) that's the only other
1: archetype. (laughs) And then I guess there's like Richie and Fonzie, but that's kind of the same thing.
2: Yeah,
0: there's just that one. Sherlock, Sherlock, Sherlock and Watson. I'm the Sherlock, you're the Watson. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm the Lenny, you're the Squiggy, and he's the George. <laughs> I think that that's part of the reason that isn't the case. I do think that like, in male friend groups, there is an understanding of like the roles that each people play. There's an acknowledgement to some degree of that sometimes. But yeah, I don't think that it's as defined because there aren't media structures to compare it to.
2: Right. Let's talk about, wait, let's talk about the dinner scene, because I feel like that's kind of the pivotal moment. I think so, too. Yeah.
0: That's where the class comes together. Yeah. yeah tell, tell us. Kick us off.
2: So Daisy's invited to have dinner with Charlie's parents. And I'm it's unclear where they are, because clearly they're not at the summer house. Did they go, like, hmm. where does he live?
1: Maybe he lives in, like, upstate Connecticut. Yeah. What are the different parts of Connecticut? No, called? I
2: feel like they're more, like, southwestern. That's where mm. all the Richies
0: live. So, like, Greenwich? It's so funny because it's the littlest state to have, like, quadrants, but it It's does. the
2: littlest state, <laughs> but, like, the closer you get to Manhattan, the richer people get. So, mm. I'm guessing maybe the dad works in New York or something, and they live mm. in the southwestern part. Although Mystic is, like, further east toward Rhode Island. And so, it's his two parents, his aunt and uncle, his sister, and Matt Damon. Not not playing himself, playing a younger brother. And they're having lobster, which Daisy is absolutely mm-hmm. sick of. We know that because her mom works at the lobstery, which I'm just going to call it for now. <laughs> the lobster plant. So anyway, she's at this fancy dinner and she's clearly trying to like present well and be... Not like herself, like you know.
0: Yeah, how you get people to like you?
2: Yeah, she's
1: like practicing for Pretty Woman. You can see her kind of doing her, you know, yeah, trying to be mm-hmm. her fancy self.
2: And I, I'm going to digress for a second. This is my favorite type of Julia Roberts role, and mm. maybe it's because I saw this. Maybe the first movie I ever saw her in, like this Pretty Woman, and I think it's echoed also in like Aaron Brockovich. Is totally. this yes. lower class sort of hustling woman who like is trying to penetrate some other world. And that clash is really fascinating, and I love the way that she does it. But anyway, it turns out that one of Daisy's friends is the waitstaff at this house. I think her name's Teresa.
0: Mm -hmm. She is a Portuguese.
2: She is a Portuguese.
0: Yeah. As they say
2: in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) And she accidentally gets some sour cream on Charlie's uncle's sweater because he cannot control his body and is like <laughs> waving his arm at her. I don't know what happens in that moment, but it's it's clearly not her fault. He sort mm. of like shifts his arm and she gets sour cream on his sweater. And the aunt says something horrible like,
1: These poor Portuguese girls are so hard to train. Literally what she says.
2: It creates a very awkward moment where like, the family is like realizing that a terrible thing is said because they understand that Daisy is Portuguese and knows the waitress and like, they don't know how to navigate that moment. And then Charlie just like takes over the whole scene by basically calling out his entire family for many things. And then he ends it by pulling the tablecloth and like wrecking the entire dinner. And Daisy's very upset because she realizes that, He is clearly using her to kind of get back at his family or to make them really uncomfortable
0: he's like the lady character in pulps common people is like he's trying to like slum it as like a real guy because he he got himself kicked out of law school because he cheated uh, and now he's trying to like be a local and trying to like be a regular guy however that's manifesting or like working for him whatever and he's doing that by way of this relationship he's courting but also he's like it'll really grind my family's gears if I bring this girl home. And like, he's the last person that's aware of that, that that's what he's doing. Yeah. She has to realize it in a real time, which is devastating yeah. to think about her coming to that realization i
1: guess like these roles where you see julia roberts in a fancy setting like trying to make herself as small as possible like maggie actually uh, talked about this in our pretty woman episode and how you can see that in her performance in yeah. that too
0: you know he's like i had to i had to do that which is like my favorite is you don't you don't but you know she says like what like They were just being themselves, Hmm. which I really enjoy. Like they were saying shitty, terrible things, but she's like, what do you expect? That's like who we know them to be. You know (laughs) they're wasps. That's why you're like this. Exactly like why don't you you know it's it's a really it's a really great take on like canned liberal shit Mm. you know is that it's like this like performance rather than like any kind of meaningful action you know it's like when someone is like about like some homophobe they're like I hope their kid turns out to be gay and it's like wait why would you wish that upon that kid Mm. like that's going to be terrible for them that person's still going to be able to be themselves and occupy the space that they occupy how's that going to help anything yeah (laughs) that's like where Charlie's coming from Charlie's going to be a like great, tepid Democrat in the 90s.
1: Charlie's going to be Larry <laughs> Underwood. <laughs> <laughs> like, he literally will. Literally. Baby, can you dig your man? He's a righteous man.
0: Oh, my God. What? So what, what buttons did that push for you, Candace, that scene?
2: <sighs> it plays this role in the movie that's sort of enlightening or calling attention to what is actually happening here. But I honestly feel like, Well, the scene that I like best is when she dumps the fish in his car, which is like, (laughs) so they're all drunk. They steal the keys to Bill's truck or they find a hidden key to Bill's truck.
1: Because he wrote nympho on his boat. Because he wrote
2: nympho on his boat and Jojo's trying to get back at him. So they take Bill's truck and they're driving around and they end up at the country club. Like them sort of drinking and dancing outside the country club, I feel like is a very familiar experience for me because I feel like I did a lot of like loitering around places that I wasn't invited to be a part of, you know, and this, this kind of like, we're obviously having more fun out here than they're having in there kind of thing. But she sees Charlie with a woman. He said he was going to be out of town visiting his grandma. So she thinks that he's, cheating on her and she drunkenly takes Bill's truck backs it up to his Porsche and dumps a bunch of fish in it. It's a convertible. And so they go like
1: And I love yeah. how we've established many times that Bill carries buckets of fish in his truck. Like we know there's fish in there. Yeah, and
2: that it smells. They they like foreshadow that. And and
0: They <laughs> foreshadow it. This is a
2: logistical question, <laughs> but like isn't that probably not safe to have just fish in buckets in your truck <laughs>
0: like, are they- Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Hmm. You want to refrigerate them, you know, (laughs) at some point
1: for sure.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's fall. There's a little nip in the air, but it's not cold enough.
2: And then he's walking out. It turns out the woman that Charlie is with is his sister, who is coded as sort of like a very kind of prototypical rich, white, blonde woman that I don't know. Their relationship is strange, too, that they walk out of the country club arm in arm. Like, is that what brothers mm-hmm. and sisters do? Uh, no, not really. He's like,
1: this is just my sister who I'm also having sex with. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, like aristocrats are like so close to like royals that, you know, maybe right. who knows? Oh, some yeah. of them do. Yeah.
1: Yeah, (laughs) because you know who else can they mate with if they're better than everyone else
0: it's like aristocrats this family the cat people like that's just it's a wild scene
2: (laughs) i don't know i love this scene because she's just uncontrollable and and like does this really irrational thing but it's i I don't know i just kind of love that she does it and it's like whatever i'm just gonna do this i know it's extreme and he's He's like mad, but he also kind of thinks it's charming and like he clearly is like over it. He has some other BMW that he's can drive when the Porsche is being um deep cleaned, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you call it. But like Charlie really wants the best of both worlds. Like he realizes that these townies, you know, for lack of a better term, are just more real and they have more fun and he like wants to be part of that but doesn't want to give up what He has. Mm
0: -hmm. I love the like the moment where she said the dialogue is she says, I fucked up. And he says, Yeah, but you gave it 100 percent effort. (laughs) And she's like, You're weird. That's how I would have said it. She doesn't say it like that. (laughs) You're weird. I love that exchange. I feel like I've been involved in that exchange many times. I really enjoy them like discovering this dynamic between them. Like, even though I think you know, he's processing a lot of this stuff subconsciously that makes him some of the things about him not likable. I don't think he's necessarily like intentionally doing this stuff. I think like he's kind of he's acting impulsively with regard to what's in front of him and they're kind of like discovering things about each other. And that's a really beautiful scene of abrupt discovery.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I think he's just like a classic unself-aware like 23 year old guy yes which can vary from like generally harmless and well-intentioned to like actually very dangerous <laughs> and some kinds can fluctuate multiple times per day in the same person if you look at the kennedys for example
0: this has to do with like men generally and then any sort of layer of privilege on top of just that huge one you can act sloppily and obtuse and not be aware of yourself mm-hmm but also not be aware of the fact that you're a fucking giant. Yes. Like with Chappaquiddick. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so like you, you swing your arm and you hit the woman who's trying to give you some food at the dinner. And to you, it's just like an incident and like, she's lost her job. Like Mm -hmm. everything you do has an outsized effect that you don't necessarily see because you're entirely insulated from it. Mm -hmm. And so when you are a 23 year old, just regular dummy with some wealth you leave an aftermath whether or not you know it whether or not you're aware or if it's nefarious and like that's kind of part of the whole reason we're trying to be like hey be aware of uh your privilege because you accidentally might knock someone over when you think that you just bumped into them and then of course there's a nationwide backlash against doing that so uh yeah that's what's going on with charlie
2: and, and you know what i honestly think that the architect is the worst example of this. Yes. He's probably in his early 30s, I'm guessing. I I find him to be the most reprehensible Mm -hmm. man in this movie because he's, he's supposed to be responsible, you know? Like, he's a dad, he's employing her, he's clearly, like, from moment one... He has his eyes on her and he's like, they sort of allude to their possibly being problems in the marriage, which is mostly comes through the little girl saying something like mommy's in England, but they're not going to get divorced or, you know, something cutesy like that.
1: Her mom's probably like looking at Stonehenge and crying or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's her job. It's much more new. Nu- and I said, it's kind of like a Juno situation, but it's a lot more nuanced than Juno. Where like, have you seen Juno, Sarah?
1: I never saw Juno because too many people talked about it too much.
0: In that movie, like, it's kind of this vibe, although it's much more of a, like, when it turns, it's like a very, not like aggressive. I mean, it's aggressive in specific ways, but it's like, I've had my eyes on this situation. Like, let's make it happen. And, like, I kind of think that, like, a lot of these situations are much more like what we see in Mystic Pizza, where the guy's just like, I'm going to be willfully ignorant of this dynamic I think this is what happened with Monica Lewinsky. Yeah, I'm going to be, mm-hmm. yes, I'm going to be willfully ignorant of the dynamic. But the one, th- I do kind of know the dynamics there, but mm-hmm. I'm certainly not going to have any agency about putting up any boundaries or barriers. Yes.
1: Lord, no. I'll just let it happen. If she just starts having an affair all by herself and it just happens to me, then right. like. What?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. in your again, like in your mind where you are insulated from any Repercussions, and that's what you assume everyone's life is like on some level. You don't consider that the fallout for everybody but you is worse, significantly yeah. worse. Mm-hmm. And that's this fucking guy.
2: Yeah, he is the worst. Uh, I know. You're, you're totally right. He just like lets it happen around him, and, and sort of like like he does the little thing, like he lets her borrow the sweater, and like yeah. he's all like, these here, take this sweater,
1: warm from my body. He because, knows yeah. that house is smells- cramped. with sweaters do you like look at that fucking house there's 400 sweaters in that house yeah Yeah.
0: sweater is laced with pheromones
1: (laughs) (laughs) and dracar noir or something (laughs) whatever architects wore
2: (laughs) i love uh when cat comes home with the sweater on and daisy rightfully suspects that something is going on and she like throws a box of condoms at her and says the guy wears them as the cat has never seen a condom, which clearly is probably the truth because she doesn't know what she's looking at. And I'm oh like, "Oh my
0: god, it's so funny. wow!" Was there
2: really a time? I mean, this was in the height of the AIDS crisis. Does cat really yeah. not know what a condom is? Going to school in the
1: '90s, they were like, "Condoms, condoms, condoms. Here's what they look like. Touch them, taste them, smell them. Yeah. Condoms, condoms."
0: Watch your gym teacher put this on a banana.
1: That'll make you never want to have sex with anybody.
0: <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> At least with a condom on.
1: Yeah, certainly not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's make them seem very unsexy. No, no downside.
2: And And I love when they come home from there, like clearly the first time they have had sex, they come home. The mom is home unexpectedly early. They do not even try to make that not look weird.
0: Mm-hmm. No, uh,
2: that is such an uncomfortable scene.
0: Well, I don't think it's in her.
2: Yeah, I was a child. I was in love.
0: Yeah, she's so like everything is on yeah. the surface with her, and like she, uh, it's a that's a nightmare scenario. But
2: he doesn't try either. He's like, no. uh, uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> They're
0: like, let Lily Taylor take care of it.
2: The only person trying is Jojo, who's like, "How's your sick mom? Did she get her medication?" Like, not like she's clearly like,
0: the two of them like, don't. Right. And you know how subtle Lily Taylor is just generally. So it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that totally, that's really amazing. And I like how when they're in the car, Lily Taylor's like, I think she doesn't know. I think she doesn't know. And then she's like, I think she knows.
1: And then she's like, oh, God, is she going to come after you? It's also like a wonderfully (laughs) fake car. Yeah. You just know that there's like six guys like rocking it.
0: Well, I thought for the longest time I didn't watch this movie forever until I was in my twenties, I think, because I I didn't know it was had anything to do with Connecticut and I thought Mystic Pizza was like magical pizza. Which oh. I can't believe I didn't watch it. That sounds great. Which is
1: a reasonable thing to imagine. I, I can <laughs> Yeah. I can see it sounding like a DCOM, though, a Disney Channel original
0: yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Starring Corbin Blue. Yeah. Right after that. Right after their ripoff of Zapped or whatever they have on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I texted both of you about this. There's a scene where Lily Taylor is talking to Conchata Farrell, whose character's name I forget, and she's carrying a copy of Cosmopolitan magazine. And I was like, yes. oh my God, Cosmopolitan magazine used to be as thick as Vogue. Yes. Which so maybe heavy. isn't as thick as I remember it anymore. But both of these magazines used to be as thick as like, Half a Bible.
0: Yeah, and like 20 to 30% of that thickness was devoted to perfume sample cards.
1: So speaking of that, I decided to find which issue of Cosmo is Lily Taylor reading, and I'm pretty positive that it's this one. That is the one. So this is September 1987, and I just want to read you the headlines on this, the story titles, because they're all incredible. What Cosmo Girls Are Doing About Sex Now? That older man, his midlife crisis can make you crazy. Here we go. Stop giving to the friend who's always taking. Wow. Elizabeth Taylor talks very frankly to Helen Gurley Brown. Wow. Is there life after Dallas? Victoria Principles answer. <laughs> Working out with the one you love, the new healthful intimacy. How to revive a stale affair. The Call Girl Scandal That Almost Brought Down the British Government. Oma Mori, a wonderful novel of interracial love by Richard McGill and a powerful excerpt from Gail Godwin's A Southern Family. His Cosmo published fiction in the 80s. It's
0: so good. This sounds great.
1: I would love to read this magazine.
2: Can you see the price on there? Yeah. two fifty. dollars love it.
1: One shilling. How much would minimum wage <laughs> have been? Like four bucks?
0: If even, yeah. Yeah, so for one half of an hour's work done at the diner, you could get that cosmopolitan. Down
1: at the lobster processing facility.
0: <laughs> Down at the lobster tables. <laughs> what, what's your, um, who do you identify with the most?
1: I identify with Cat because I'm smart and appear sexless and I'm overly naive about men and I love sweaters. <laughs> Candace, who do you identify with most?
2: I think I am a perfect blend between Daisy and Kat. Yeah. Mm. I also identify as kind of being smart and nerdy, but... With JoJo's style. (laughs) I wish I identified more with JoJo, although I wouldn't have gotten married at 20. But I also was sort of like nerdy and smart in a lot of ways, but also very brash and rough around the edges. Mm -hmm. Very protective of my emotions, sort of, and contrarian. Mm -hmm. for the world I I grew up in. So I think that I'm I'm a nice blend.
1: Does the sister relationship in this feel true at all to you as an older sister? Although you have a much different, bigger age difference.
2: I think I have a very different relationship with my sister. But Mm -hmm. actually, she and I were having an interesting conversation recently about how our mother had very different expectations of us Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how that impacts your relationship with your siblings but also just like how you think of yourself totally. and this kind of goes along with what you were saying earlier sarah is like this dynamic of like i'm the good girl you're the bad girl that's always the way it's been that's always the way it's going to be you know
1: mm-hmm. i was an only child so i was all the
2: girls exhausting <laughs> you're all you have to be
0: all the girls <laughs> you're the, the yeah. lifting on behalf of you all
2: The other detail I noticed that I really loved and felt so fucking New England was when, like, I think at the very beginning of the movie, when Bill comes to talk to Jojo at the restaurant and they go outside and stand on the sidewalk, that the shop next to Mystic Pizza is called More Than Miniatures 2. I love that. Which means that there's a More Than Miniatures 1 somewhere. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's amazing. Yes. that's so New England. Okay, so we know the architect is a father who, in your view, is the daddy
2: I mean, I'm going to go with Leona. Mm. Great. Although of course I will say that Vincent D'Onofrio is fucking hot in this movie. And I bet his wrists are hot, mm. too, even yeah. though I don't think they really show them.
0: He is a daddy for sure.
1: He doesn't show his wrists against anyone. Those are only for, for, for JoJo. Yes.
0: <laughs> I want to echo. I'm just going to jump <laughs> off and echo and say that I think it's Leona, too. I worked. I was a kid that. Very similar to some of these girls, at least, or at least Daisy. Very similar to Daisy was like, I need to get out of here. Mm -hmm. Like, how am I gonna I don't know how I'm gonna do it. I don't even know how college works really. Like, what am I gonna do? All I
1: have is my pretty face.
0: That's all I have is my pretty face and my interest in work.
2: And this six-pack of beer I pulled out of Long Island Sound.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just know how to work. And I found most of like my first rounds of extended family and friends at my jobs. I started working at 12, which I would probably not advise, but like starting around like 14, 15 is when I started to develop like close friendships at work and then felt like I had familial and family relationships and, you know, some of the managers were, you know, parental figures in one way or another and like looked out for us and cared for us and not the ideal setup you know, like, I don't think your work should be your family. And I think jobs can like take advantage of that a little bit. But like, I think that I had really great familial relationships with some of the people I worked with and had managers or people I worked for who like considered who did consider us like part of their family and who did look out for us and who did give us more than they really had to. That part where she gives the check to her for college resonated on a personal level. And I think that that's why I got so worked up about it. So I, Leona's the daddy in my view.
1: I think that's totally true. And I'll just highlight Daisy and Kat's mom.
0: Oh, yeah. She's
1: like a bitter and chewed up lady. And I feel like she's sort of the mother who's like done her best. And this is the age when he, you hopefully are able to be like, well, you've done your best and there's a lot of stuff you can't give me. And I found it interesting that one of the themes was like, is it good to be a woman who has sex? And the answer was like, "Mm, probably not still, but maybe check again in 10 years. (laughs) You know? Yeah. The big scene with Daisy and her mom is her being like, I'm afraid of what's going to happen to you. And I get that it's about like the fear of just like having no future and not knowing what your life is going to be. And if you're just going to be like stuck in this town forever, eating lobsters but it's also like implied that like being slutty is like dangerous. It's like smoking or something. And I think that like bound up in like all the fears that like you can't have a good life as a slut. And I don't think that's true.
0: But the thing that I relate to with Daisy and with that tension is like a lot of the things I did to lash and act out on their own, are fine behaviors, Mm. like doing drugs recreationally or like drinking or like having sort of like promiscuous sex or having like exploratory relationships, whatever. Like those are all fine things on their own when particularly like as you develop a taste for what you want and you have like some degree of like agency or intention. A lot of the things I did, though, weren't necessarily out of agency or intention. They were like me thrashing around. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that I found so touching about that scene as much as like, it does, it does feel a little like maybe like it was written in part by Nancy Reagan is her saying me too. Mm -hmm. Like that, like she also is like, I don't fucking know what's going on. And that like, that's like a rare that's the thing that I related to where like in almost any situation at that time and age, I'd be like, I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. I can do this. And then when, you know, in like a particularly vulnerable moment, I might've acknowledged like, yeah, I have no idea Mm -hmm. what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. Yeah. But like who does. Yeah. At 17.
1: Well, yeah. Or, or, you know, at any age really.
0: Well, and I think that that's like, that's the confusing thing about being like, about talking about sex at that age in particular is it's like not obviously no it's not inherently bad and pleasure is great etc et it's just that the deck is radically stacked against mm. you in every way particularly you know mm-hmm. gender and age so it's like you got to be careful but it's hard to say you got to be careful without it sounding like don't do this it's bad right. but also these people are going to church multiple times mm. a week so i think that there's yeah. more baggage
1: yeah mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: i love you guys so much this is the best
2: this is the best it is very fun i'm
1: happy we've done a very autumnal movie with very
2: autumnal candace Aww. oh yeah, i'm better. starting to feel very aut- autumnal
0: thanks everybody see you soon guys all right everybody that's it for this week's episode of you are good thank you so much to Candice Offer for being on the show. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for editing the episode. We got to hang with Miranda all last week and it was the best. We love you so much, Miranda. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for producing the episode. Thanks to Fresh Lesh for providing the beats that make our transitions sound so sweet. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting on Patreon or Apple Plus podcast subscriptions. We appreciate you uh, helping us out there and hopefully you enjoy the bonus content you get in return Thank you for following us on Instagram or on Twitter or both maybe at you are good Pod. Uh, join us next week for Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. We appreciate you. You are good. Thank you so much for being here. If we didn't catch you at one of these past shows, hopefully we'll catch you at a future one. All right, everybody. Take it easy.